Welcome to the Hamilton Life Church Podcast. My name is JD, and I'm the associate pastor here at HLC. If God is doing something amazing in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email your story to us at info at hamiltonlifechurch.com. It is through the faithful giving of people like you that we are able to expand God's kingdom here in Chattanooga and around the world through our ministries we support. If you would like to give and be a part of Hamilton Life Church, please visit our website, hamiltonlifechurch.com, or join us this Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. We pray that God moves in your life through this message. Let's stand and check out our Bible. 1 Kings chapter 13, reading this quickly here. It's a, it's a, a longer passage, but just stay with me on it. At the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel, arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says, a child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David, and on you he will sacrifice the priests from these pagan shrines who come here to burn incense, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said the Lord promised uh, to give this sign. This altar will split apart and its ashes will be poured out onto the ground. And when King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, he pointed, out to, uh, he pointed at him and shouted, seize that man. But instantly the king's hand became paralyzed in that position and he couldn't pull it back. And at the same time, a wide crack appeared in the altar and the ashes poured out, just as the man of God had predicted in his message from the Lord. And the king cried out to the man of God, please ask the Lord your God to restore my hand again. And so the man of God prayed to the Lord and the king's hand was restored and he could move it again. And then the king said to the man of God, come to the palace with me and have something to eat and I'll give you a gift. But the man of God said to the king, even if you gave me half of everything you own, I would not go with you. I would not eat or drink anything in this place, for the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are here, and don't return to Judah by the same way you came. So he left Bethel and went home another way. And as it happened, there was an old prophet living in Bethel, and his sons came and told him what the man of God had done in Bethel that day. And also they told their father what the man of God had said to the king. The old prophet asked him, which way did he go? And so they showed their father which road the man of God had taken. Quick, saddle the donkey, the old man said. So they saddled the donkey for him and they mounted him. And then he rode after the man of God and found him sitting under a great tree. And the old prophet asked him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Yes, I am, he said. And then he said to the man of God, come home with me and eat some food. No, I cannot, he replied. I'm not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place. For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there, and do not return to Judah by the same way you came. But the prophet, old prophet answered, I am the prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord. Bring him, uh, uh, sorry, bring him home with uh, you so you can have something to eat and drink. And the old man was lying to him. And so they went back together, and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. Last little part here to close. And then while they were sitting at the table, a command from the Lord came to the old prophet. He cried out to the man of God from Judah, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have disobeyed the command of the Lord your God gave you. You have came back, or you have, you know, you have came back to this place and ate and drank where he told you not to eat or drink. Because of this, your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. And after the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him. And the man of God started off again, 
But as he was traveling along, a lion came out and killed him, and his body lay there on the ground with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. People who passed by the body lying in the road and uh, saw the body lying in the road and the lion standing beside it, and they went and reported it in Bethel where the old prophet lived. Thank you. You can have a seat for me. Uh, a, a longer passage of scripture, but an important one. One of my favorite stories, it's one of those interesting uh, Old Testament stories. Uh, closing out our series, if you haven't been a part of this series, today in many ways is just a recap of what we've talked about and an encouragement to stay strong in what we are doing, what you are doing. So if you've missed any weeks, go back to our website, go to the podcast or wherever and go just catch up with them. You can find them on Facebook, I don't know, wherever the stuff is. Um, but look at our main theme verse. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. You can put it on the screen for me. This is where we've been coming from for everything. Paul's writing to Timothy as a young pastor. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. That is a reference to Timothy's actual age, but it's also just a reference to each one of us in the, those places you might think of. Jeff, I'm not young, but it's also a reference to inexperience. Where do you feel young? Where do you feel inexperienced? You may feel like that, but rather, Timothy, step up to the occasion is what we've talked about before and set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and in purity. We talked about how God has called us not to be a thermometer, but a thermostat. That was week one. God, I want to, you've placed me in my family, you've placed me in my job, you've placed me in my neighborhood, you've placed me with the sphere of influence I have on purpose. You've entrusted me to lead in that area. God, how do we do that? Well, set an example. We talked about what it means to set an example. David and his mighty men, the heart they had for the Lord that that was what made them mighty. That is the pattern. That's the model that we set. How does that manifest itself in our everyday life? It was those five areas in our speech and in our conduct. We looked at that one week together there, that what we're saying from the stage, but also in our dealings with everybody out in public, that they are the same. King James Version doesn't use the word love right here. It says in faith, I'm sorry, in love, it says uh, uh, in charity and in spirit. It's the word agape kind of split into two parts that we're supposed to set an example in our actions towards people, making sure we're refreshing people, leaving people better than we find them or than we found them originally, and then also in our spirit for people. Uh, we have a heart truly for them. We looked at Jonah that week, and then last week in faith, we're supposed to set an example in our faith. It all kind of culminates to faith, that, okay, you have an opportunity, you start speaking life into people, you, you start preaching the word, people notice you're different, then they start seeing your care for them, and they go, hey, what's all of that about? And that's an opportunity to share your faith with them. We looked at Elisha and the blinded Arameans last week, when the Arameans were coming down upon them, Elisha and his servant, each one of them saw an army, but Elisha viewed it through eyes of faith and saw the Lord's army surrounding them. The servant, who was young, who was inexperienced, God has placed people in our lives in that same way. We need to set an example of faith. That, that servant just saw the army, the actual army of the Arameans coming down. So as he's freaking out, Elijah prays for him. And God opens his eyes, and then he sees things through eyes of faith. Setting that model and that example of faith. This last week, we talk about purity. Make sure we set an example in our purity. We talked about holiness a couple of weeks ago in our Gloria series. This sort of dovetails off of that. Because if, you, if you're thinking, like, didn't we just talk about this a little while ago? Yes, you're not mistaken on that. In our Gloria series, we talked about the importance of holiness in our life, that, that living rightly before the Lord. So I don't want to rehash all of that. Go back and listen to it if you, if you missed it. But sin is an important thing. It's a big deal. 
that if we walk in iniquity, we walk in that sin, it separates us from God. If you can put Isaiah on the screen for me. This is the main verse we, we have looked at before on this. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Again, why is sin such a big deal? We're talking about, I, I just don't want to focus the message on, hey, make sure that you're walking. Pure. I, but as far as it relates to our relationship with God, we've established that. I want to talk about why purity is so important in our dealings with other people, because it's the witness we have to them. But again, what does sin do in our lives? God is always like this. His arm is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But the picture here in Isaiah is God is standing there like this, your iniquities have separated you. That, it is a, that is a decision that you're making where, hey, every good and perfect thing is in me, Jeff. Come and trust and follow me. And we're going, yeah, I'm good. I want to go the other direction. And God's like, you're not going to find anything for bad stuff out there. That's what Isaiah is talking about. This is why holiness, purity is so important to go, God, I just want to honor you with all of my life. I want to walk rightly before you. I want my heart to be open before you. We talked about all that a couple of weeks ago. I want to talk about purity today. I want to talk about it in regards to the importance of the witness we have with other people. Have you ever met somebody that talks the talk but just doesn't walk the walk? Like, how much does that damage them in your mind? Like, they, even to that point where they can be right in what they're saying, but you still just don't trust them because you look at them and go, but where's the fruit in your life? He, here's how I want you guys to think of this. Dwayne, can you just hold this mic for me? Galatians says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. The many times what happens to you and I is we will believe. Hold on, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was going to give it to you, and then I was like, no, I got a good thing. I want to just keep on talking here for a second. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. For you and me, like the deception we can so easily believe that we'll look at it in a second here in 1 Kings is that like, hey, it's not a big deal. Nobody either notices. God doesn't notice. Nobody else notices. In Galatians, again, it becomes obvious to others. And the whole point of what Paul's saying here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is, man, you've done all of this work. You should, now don't blow it by being a goober. Don't blow it by ruining all of it. And I want you to think of it like this. And the idea of the acts of the sinful nature being obvious, they're very much just like this. Like, I'm, in, I'm actually getting a haircut anyway, so I was like, let me leverage this for the people then. I'm not worried about it. So, can you see the difference? Where, where can I get it? Right here? Give me some good spots. Is it good? That's good. Thanks. But he, here's why I say all of this. is because we walk around like this all the time and don't pay attention to it and don't realize it. That we're like, no, man. Let me tell you everything about God. Let me tell you all of these things. Look at how awesome. Let me tell you all about how your hair should be. And we don't realize that, no, no, if you aren't walking in purity then yourself and maintaining your reputation and that good name, everybody else looks at you and goes, dude, what is that guy talking about? Why do I care at all what he's selling? Why do I care at all about what he's going? Because they look at you and they go, 
he's a goober. Like, I, I don't get it. Take all of this, apply it back into what we're talking about in 1 Kings 13 right here. 1 Kings 13, just the first couple of verses right here. It says, at the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel and arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. Stop right here for a moment because it's important contextually. This chapter and the chapter just prior to it are actually a significant turning point in the entire history of Israel. So I I don't want to get into all of that context, but it's very, very important. So I encourage you to go back and read it. When we talk about the northern kingdom of Israel and how every single one of their kings were evil from this point, it's because of the stuff that happened in the chapter prior to this and this chapter here. Remember, the Israelites came out of Egypt. They conquered the promised land. They were ruled by judges for a period of time. Eventually, they, well, God was their king, and then they ruled, administered through judges. Then eventually, they wanted a human king. God warned them against it, but they wanted it anyways. They got Saul. They got David, who he was really great, and then Solomon, who started off really great, and then his heart fell away from the Lord. His heart was turned from the Lord because of all of his wives and concubines, Scripture says. And so because of all that, God told uh, Solomon that not in your life, for the sake of your father David, but in your son's life, his name was Rehoboam, in your son's life, the kingdom is going to be torn from you and split into two. Rehoboam becomes king. The nation divides, almost goes to actual civil war, but instead they just end up splitting. Jeroboam, who is our king here and is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Rehoboam, the Bible is really good about making sure the names are super confusing. So you're like, wait, which one is it? Jeroboam's the northern. Rehoboam becomes the king of the southern kingdom. And all of the promises of God that God gave David, he gives to Jeroboam also. You can read them in the chapters prior to it. All God tells Jeroboam is, man, just basically just keep, just keep trusting me and I'll take care of you. Your kingdom, I believe he tells him that your dynasty will reign for a thousand years. Like, don't worry about it. Jeroboam, though, has a significant problem, though, uh, in his mind. It's a perception problem that he has. What ends up happening is in the northern kingdom of Israel, yay, the southern kingdom of Israel of Judah is down here. The temple is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. God still wants all the Israelites to go to the temple to worship. But that would mean Israelites going from the northern kingdom into the southern kingdom. God's already promised Jeroboam, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it all. Just don't worry. Just let them go. Jeroboam gets really concerned about this, though. And you can put that verse on the screen for me, 1 Kings chapter 12, because this becomes a huge turning point in all of the life of Israel. Jeroboam thought to himself about people going down to Jerusalem that unless I'm careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will, give, uh, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. All of that's a lie. The people didn't like Rehoboam. He was, kind of, he was not a great guy. And they will kill me and make him their king instead. So fear, which as it often does, masqueraded as wisdom to King Jeroboam, he gave in to fear, and instead what he ends up doing in the verses that follow that, leading up to where we're reading, is he bans people from going down to Jerusalem, and he establishes new altars in Samaria, or in Israel, for themselves. One at Bethel, and one all the way up at the top, and I believe in Beersheba, or wherever it was. One at the north, and one at the south. And then he establishes his own priests, he establishes his own festivals, all those different things. All of it is technically still in honor of God, but really God is far from it because it has nothing to do with God. Like the idea being, has, have you ever had somebody give you a present, but you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? It's one of those white elephant gifts. Like somebody give you a present, but just like, you must clearly not know me at all then. Like 
Dwayne can't eat pork. And so imagine me being like, Dwayne, I want to bless you. Here is a ham sandwich. And then Dwayne being like, what am I going to do with that? Oh, you can't eat it? Then I'll eat it myself then. Thank you very much. That's like the context of what's happening here with Jeroboam. And so what ends up happening is at this new altar, at a new festival that he has established by himself, uh, he starts offering incense uh, on this festival or on this altar, and a prophet, a man of God from Judah that is purposefully not named, gets sent from the Lord to go confront Jeroboam. So all that's the context into what's happening, but really I want to just focus in on this man of God himself. Look at how crazy these next couple of verses are. We won't read them for the sake of time. I'll just go through them, but we read them a moment ago. Go back and study this chapter. Man, you, he shows up and he confronts Jeroboam. Look at how crazy awesome this man is for the Lord. He confronts Jeroboam. You know, tells him what he's doing is wickedness, that this altar, on this altar, he says that there is going to be a man named Josiah. All of that ends up happening in 2 Kings chapter 23, like a hundred and something years later. There's going to be a king, Josiah, that comes from the line of David that kills every one of the priests on this altar. Like, what you're doing is wrong. And, and to, a sign to prove it all is I'm telling you the truth, Jeroboam, in a moment that this altar is going to crack. It's basically going to explode and all the ashes are going to come out. And then the crazy part is, the altar cracks and all the ashes come out. Like, again, just quantify that for here. Imagine if Dwayne just goes, Jeff, I have a word of the Lord against you. You don't, right? No, we're good. I have a word of the Lord. And to prove that this word is correct, this speaker is going to just break apart right now. And then it happens to prove it. Like, point being is, this man is... Setting an example. He's doing great things for the Lord. Jeroboam also, just to, just to bring out how crazy these verses are, Jeroboam hears all this stuff that's obviously being said. He points to the man, the man of God from Judah, the prophet, and says, seize that man. And as he yells that out in the New Living Translation, it says that his arm is paralyzed. But actually in the original language, in, in the NIV and things, it doesn't say his arm was paralyzed. It says his arm shrivels up. So as Dwayne speaks this word against me, proving by the, by the fact that the speaker's going to explode, I'm like, oh, no, it's not. J.D., seize that man in my arm. <laughs> Crazy. And then Jeroboam's like, Dwayne, pray for my arm to come back to normal. Pray the man of God, pray for my arm to come back to normal. And then the man of God prays for Jeroboam, and his arm is restored. It's Crazy. Point being is the man of God is not specifically named here because I believe he applies to all of us. We're supposed to find ourselves in the verses of the scripture right here. That God, we've been saying, like it is this man of God, but we've been saying, God, you want to use us to make a difference. Like many of you are making a great difference in your family. Many of you are making a great difference in your work. Many of you are stepping into these things of God, all that. Like as God used this man of God, this is that whole thing. He wants to use us in Similar ways in our day. Like this is an incredible story that happens here. But it doesn't end there. This story becomes a cautionary tale for you and me. This man starts the story off with a tremendously thick head of hair. A beautiful head of hair. But then you see what the enemy starts to do against him. I'm telling you, as you start to step out and pursue the Lord, start to set an example, start to do all those things as you should, you are a light for God, like Satan is going to try to come against you. He's going to start. He's not even going to try. He's going to come against you. Two just points at the beginning of this message here, if you're just 
uh, or in the middle of the message, technically, in case you're worried to go, wait, that's just the beginning. Um, as you set an example, Satan will come against you. Second thing I just want you to remember from this story right here, if you can put it on screen, is that the obvious attack isn't the real attack. The Lord had given the man of God from Judah very specific commands. He said, once all this happens, don't eat or drink with them at all. Like that's Because Jeroboam, after, after his arm shrivels up and then it's restored again, he's like, hey, that's a convenient trick. I'd like to have you around. Why don't you leave Judah? Why don't you come? Basically, the invitation to come and eat with him and to receive a gift is why don't you come into my service then? The man of God looks back at him and goes, no, I'm not supposed to eat or drink with you. I'm not even supposed to return back the way I came at all. I'm, I'm not supposed to have anything to do with any of that. I'm supposed to keep pressing after the Lord. Like, I say this because Jeroboam offering him to come and eat and drink is what I would classify as an obvious attack. You know, for you, it's like, okay, I, I see it. As I start standing for God and living for the Lord, like, yeah, the devil's going to try to come against me. We, we've talked about that numerous times over the last number of weeks here. A lot of times our defense is in the wrong area, though. We think it's going to be in the obvious areas. Like, okay, it's like if it's say, you know what, like one of my greatest fears in life, Carrie and I, we, we talk about this often, one of my greatest fears in life is having an affair on my wife. Like having an affair is brutal. It's, it's, it's obviously wrong. It's, it's all those things. And so what I know, though, is where does an affair start? An affair doesn't start with somebody, you know, like a lot of times we'll have our defense. I'll be like, okay, I don't want to have an affair on my wife. Because I, I, I see so many pastors fall in this area. And I, it's best in life to not assume you're the exception to the rule, but assume you are part of the rule. And so if so many other pastors can fall in this area, I need to have my guard up to go, you know what? If, if it could happen to them, it could easily happen to me too. So I got to have my guard up. Well, where is my guard going to be? A lot of times our guard is in the obvious areas. Like, okay, don't want to have an affair on my wife. Is anybody wearing a bikini in here? Okay. Nobody's nude walking around at Walmart? Okay. Like, we look for those obvious things. Like, that's, that's not where the downfall happens. You know, it's, where do you get addicted to pornography at? It's, it's not all of a sudden like, hey, you just stumble upon crazy things. It's, no, it's, you all of a sudden open your heart a little bit to Victoria's Secret advertisements and different things. You start entertaining those subtle thoughts that then those little foxes grow. You, you start having, you start pressing a relationship just slightly farther than it should go, and then all of a sudden you put yourself into a gray area, and then you stumble and fall, and it's like, well, how did I get into this spot? It's not the obvious attack. It's the subtle attack. That's what I know for Carrie and I, what we talk about, that what we have to guard against, what we have to watch out for, each one of us, because we don't want at the end of our life to go, you know what? We made a fool of ourselves and, and cut off all of our hair in the wrong spots. We didn't live our life and set that example and model of purity. We, we, Bible talks about disqualifying yourself or disgracing or ineffectiveness and unproductiveness. Now, I know each and every one of us in this room, we have fallen in some area. There is grace that abounds for us. There is restoration for every one of us in here. You know, I, I think about the testimony series that we had a number of weeks ago. So I'm saying, off, but I would say to every one of us in this room, if you're here and you have fallen in one of those areas, you would look at me and go, man, I am so thankful for the grace of God. God, Jeff, I see what you're saying. There's complete, there's been restoration. But every one of us would look back and go, but I wish I had never made that mistake to begin with, though. If I could go back, I would undo it all. Like, that's the point of being a cautionary tale for it here. 
Jeroboam comes to the man of God and says, hey, why don't you come eat with me? It's easy for the man of God to go, nah, I'm good. You're a bad guy, man. And so he leaves. He goes his separate way. Next thing that happens in this story, though, is the sons of this old prophet, who, again, we don't know the name of, come back to their dad, and they tell him everything that happened here. Man, this was a crazy thing. This man showed up. The speaker blew up. Jeff cut his hair off. Like, it was a crazy thing. The old man in this story, this old prophet, while at the end of his life, he does bury, or he does bury the prophet, the man of God. You'll Ed, read the end of the story and go, wait a second, did he turn good at the end? Uh, it's more of a recognition of, oh man, the will of God is going to be accomplished with or without us. God stands supreme. And so he recognizes that. I'm saying that because as you go home and study this chapter, you'll go, wait a second, Jeff didn't cover the last verses. That's what really that's all about. But the old man in this story right here, he's a bad guy. He is a prophet at Bethel, which is the place of the pagan shrines. He's doing bad things. When the sons come back and they tell their dad about all of the issues that had just happened, like they are talking about him. Dad, your, your job, this guy just spoke against it all. So you see the agenda then of the old man is to go, okay, where did this man of God from Judah just go? He went down that road. He went down 24. Okay. He saddles up his donkey. And he chases him down. He goes after him. And then he comes to the man of God as he is sitting under a tree, which is, again, a reference to this man being in a position of trusting. Man of God is sitting under the strong tree. Isaiah 61 says that we are oaks of righteousness. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says that when we trust in the Lord, we're like a tree that's planted by the stream, that our roots go deep, that regardless of what's coming our way, our leaves are green. So this man of God's in a good position here. He's in the right spot. But how does the old man get him to come back with him to eat? Well, he starts approaching him in a subtle fashion. You know, three things that I notice in particular. Only thing we really know about this old man is that, one, he's a prophet. We'll talk about that in a second. But what is the actual only description we have of this man? Is he young or is he He's old? Now, here's what I recognize about that. How many of you that are younger in this room just kind of inherently trust older people? I inherently trust older people, generally. You know, this old, like, like, and the reason for that, at least what, I'm recon- what I recognize, is, is like Proverbs says that gray hair is a crown of splendor, and it is attained through a righteous life. So those of you that are in the room that have gray hair, like, you, you rock that up, dude. You rock it, because that means it has been attained through a righteous life. Because generally the thought is, generally the thought is, is like, Hey, if Sheila was a bad person, she probably would have been smited by now. Or something would have happened in things. Like there tends to be, also the fact that this man is old in comparison to young, where there's an inexperience to where there's a perceived wisdom here. So this man starts to go, okay, well, one, he, he would be old, so there's a, an opening. A, a, the, young, the, the man of God from Judah is like, oh, okay. Second thing we know about him is that he is a prophet. He says, you're, they actually says that to him in those verses. You're a prophet, I'm a prophet too. Same ground. We're, we're at Samesies. You know, the man of God is, no, you're, you're a prophet for Bethel. You're a prophet for, no, no, we're prophets the same one. And then you see the third thing that he does is he distorts the word of God. The Bible says specifically that the old man was lying to him. What do you think the devil is going to do to you? He is going to lie to you. Hey, an angel of the Lord told me that it was actually okay for you to come back and things. Like this becomes a very significant thing. How do you guard yourself in the area of purity? David writes in Psalm 119 that how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. 
that you've got to know the word because God's not going to speak out of both sides of his mouth. He's not going to say, hey, no, it's okay, and then come back, no, it's not okay. Like, what does his word say? Third point I just have is that this obvious attack uh, isn't the real attack, but the third one is for you and I is you have to make sure you are not naive. You are not naive. The enemy is going to come against you with a specific agenda. The goal of that agenda is to discredit and to disable your witness. You are not above the rule. In humility, understand that you are the rule. That if it can happen to so many, when we start to think that, oh, that doesn't mean it won't happen to me. No, you will put yourself into a compromising position then. This man of God started off by blowing up the altar and shriveling the arm of God was using him in this mighty way. But by the end of it, the old prophet convinces him to break what he knew to be true and to go back and he eats with the old prophet. He breaks what God had told him. Think about in the idea of not being naive. Uh, take your Bible, flip over to Proverbs chapter 7 for me. Proverbs chapter 7 is the personification of temptation. Solomon is writing this. And he's telling us, hey, you need to be on guard against the immoral woman, which isn't like, I know you're like, if you're a lady, you're like, man, come on, we get a bad rap here. The idea is be on guard against temptation. She is the personification of temptation. And look what he says in verse 6. He says, I was at the window of my house looking through the curtains. And what does he see? This is coming from the New Living Translation. I saw some naive young men. And then one in particular who, what did he lack? One in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. And it was at twilight, verse 9 says. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. Like, what do you have to be on guard against? He's like, man, I was looking out. There was this guy down. He just let his guard down. He was naive. Let his guard down. He was naive. And so he just starts at twilight. The idea being there is that that's that gray area. Not quite light, not quite dark. Like it's just that gray area. And he goes strolling down by her house. Like your flesh is going to entice you to put yourself into compromising positions. And the lie that you can believe is that you can handle it. I'm telling you, you can't handle it. Because the whole point about temptation is that it is tempting to your flesh. You are supposed to resist the devil in every area. Or, you know, like resist the devil and he'll flee from you. All those different scriptures on that. Except when it comes to the area of temptation. God doesn't say resist the devil in this area because he knows, no, in this area you are going to be tempted. So the more you resist, you're actually going to get sucked into it. This is the area where he says to flee, get away from it. Why? Because when you're naive in this area, she comes out. She goes by her house at twilight and you keep going from here in verse 8. Uh, verse 9. Uh, verse 10, it says, the woman approached him seductively dressed in sly of heart, and she was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay home, and she is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner, and she threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look, she said, I've just made peace offerings and fulfilled my vows, and you're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. Like, the whole point is when you go through and just look at all that, what is she telling him? She is glad-handing him, just like the old man coming to the man of God. Hey, you know what? You're, you're, I'm old. You can trust me. Hey, you're a prophet? Me too. Funny story. You heard from God because that's what the, man, the, the old man tells him. You want to come eat with me? No, I'm not even supposed to go back that way. I can't eat with you. I'm not even supposed to go. No, it's fine. 
the Lord told me, an angel of God told me this thing also. What do we see here? The temptation comes away. The seductress, uh, the immoral woman comes and goes, hey, it's cool. I just made my peace offerings with God. And in fact, I was kind of praying, like, like God, would you send somebody my way? And then here you are. Like, the devil's absolutely going to lie to you in this. And you go to the end of this chapter right here and just go back and memorize this chapter. It says, so she seduced him, verse 21, with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery, and he followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing that it would cost him his life. So verse 24, so listen to me, my sons. Pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away towards her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many, many men, which is just humans, us. Many people have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. It's just any temptation. Like, God says, do it this, and I'm tempted to do this. No, don't go down any of those paths because the man of God goes back and he eats with the old man, and in the midst of eating with the old man, the old man, through the inspiration of the Lord, tells him, hey, you broke that rule. You weren't supposed to do this. And so because of this, there was judgment that was going to come upon you, specifically in the form of shame. He says, you are not going to be buried with your ancestors, which was an honorable grave. No, because you did this. And so what ends up happening, I imagine it being the most awkward dinner of all time because it says that they finish eating then, and I assume it's real quiet as they're finishing their steaks. But then the man gets up, and he goes, and he gets on his donkey, and he drives off, or he goes off. And as he is going then down the road, it says that an animal comes and attacks him. What is the name of the animal? What type of animal? It's a lion that comes. And what I want to encourage you with, just as we get ready to close here, is in 1 Peter 5, 8. It's encouragement to you and to me to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It is interesting that after this lion attacks and kills the man of God, the man of God is left lying on the road. The lion just sits there next to him and the donkey sit there next to him. And it is a warning that, hey, if we are stubborn in this area, the lion will come. The warning for you and me is, hey, you may think you can hide it. You may think it's not a big deal, but it becomes obvious to everyone else around. It is like, dude, you're telling me about your hair, but look at your own hair there. Like, we've got to watch ourselves in this area because Paul has said, I have entrusted you to lead during this day. Man, you have been speaking the word. You've been trusting God, living like a drink offering before him, which is what we talked about with the mighty men. Again, if you haven't heard all the series, go back and listen to the rest of them but you've been living as a drink offering. God's been making you mighty. People are starting to take notice of the words that you're saying. Man, when I'm around, when I'm around this person, their words are like the, the tree of life. It's like heaven to be around them. It's like the Garden of Eden to be around them. There's life that's in them. Man, that, that then, I notice they have just an, an agape love for everybody. Even, the, even people that are rude and mean and discouraged, just, no, he unconditionally, they unconditionally love people. That then opens up a door to go, what's different about you? Well, let me tell you about my faith. Let me tell you about what God has done in my life. You may see just the army of the Arameans coming down, but no, I know that there's more for us than those that are against us. I can see the army of the Lord. God, let me tell you about my faith in there. And so all of that leads to this point then of what Timothy is, or Paul's writing to Timothy here. Hey, Timothy, 
You're young. Keep setting the example, but also watch the example in this area, in your cleanliness. Purity here means sinlessness or a cleanliness. Because if you start venturing down those other roads, maybe nobody else ever knows about it, but God knows about it. And it's obvious. The acts of the sinful nature, they become obvious. Galatians chapter 5, it's talking about walking in the spirit and the fruit of that, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or it's walking in the flesh. And the fruit of that is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self. The fruit of the walking in the flesh is rage, malice, immorality, anger, witchcraft, all of these different things. And that's why Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, and he's saying, hey, you can't fake this. It's going to become clear to people. You might be able to do a little bit of a comb over or do this for a second and think nobody can notice, but it will be obvious to everyone else around. And when that happens, you're going to damage your witness. And remember how important your name is. If you could put it on the screen for me, Proverbs says that your name is as valuable as silver and gold. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. If you can go to that quote from Warren Buffett for me. Warren Buffett, he has a quote where he says that it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. And when we think about that, you'll do things differently. There is abundant grace. We all fall short of the glory of God. God is saying, though, here, that, hey, don't fall into the hole if you don't have to. You know, don't, don't go down those roads if you don't have to. God can restore and redeem you out of them, but, but don't let that become part of your witness or, or, or part of your, because the thing you can't get back in time or back in life is, is time. Don't waste that precious time that you have because your life is like a puff of smoke. You know, just to conclude our, our, our series on all of this stuff, how do, we, how do we keep living as an example for the Lord and walking in this purity? If you can put my fifth point up on the screen for me, it's how do we walk this out then? Okay, God, I, I want to live for you, but it's difficult. Like, what do I do? You press into God, and then the effect of that, as you are pursuing the Lord, the effect of that is that you will have a transformed lifestyle. You'll be made more and more and more into his image. Just to completely conclude. Put that verse in Peter for me up if you don't mind. Second Peter chapter 1. Peter is writing oh, I'm sorry, Second Peter, yeah, chapter 1 verse 5. Uh, Peter is writing here and he's saying for you and he says for this very reason and the reason which is given in the verses just prior to that is saying him having given us everything, Jesus, God had given everything we need for life and godliness. Like God's made it all available for you to, to, live, to live this out so how do we do it though? We make every effort to add to your faith goodness. There's this progression here that Peter lays out. He says, you believe in the Lord. You believe in Jesus. Great. Take that faith and now remember the goodness of God. We just worshiped about that a moment ago. Like remember what it was like when you were lost. And now remember remember, refresh your mind. Like don't grow cold to what it feels like to be saved. Like I remember like, I grew up in a home in church and all those kinds of things, but, but I still remember those days before my faith really became my faith. And, God, I was struggling with things here and there, just the despair. Like, but then, Jesus, you saved a wretch like me. And you guys, you know your story. Remember the goodness of God. Now remember the promises of God that are on your life, the things we talked about last week. How, how faithful has God been in your life? 
Like how great that is. He says, take that faith now and you keep goodness on the forefront of your mind. You take that goodness and you add to it knowledge. The word knowledge there, it means keep it on the forefront of your mind. Think about these things. God, how great you are. I think about those things often. God, I'm keeping my mind filled with those things. As Paul says, whatsoever things are good and pure and noble and trustworthy, I think about those things. From that knowledge, what starts to happen is then all of a sudden self-control starts to come. Because the enemy will come with some kind of deceiving temptation to go, hey, I know you're trusting God, but what about this over here? Don't you want to get your hair cut weirdly? And you'll go, no, I don't want to do that at all because, God, I'm remembering and convinced of how great your goodness is. So you start walking into self-control. And then what happens is you add to that self-control, a perseverance comes. That you're living this out now, day by day by day. And all of a sudden you look back and it's like, wow, I've been doing this for six months now. I've been doing this for a year now. I've been doing this for 10 years now. Whoa, there's a, there's a, a, a perseverance then that leads to a, go to the, yeah, the next one is perseverance leads to a godliness. My character gets developed. God, I'm, I'm acting like you would act. And then go to the next part for me. From that perseverance, godliness, and then to godliness, add brotherly kindness. Then what the natural overflow is, is you'll start to look around and go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm being Jesus to those around me. I'm helping those. I'm being kind to my brothers. I'm setting an example. And as we continue to press into that, what is the natural effect of that? It's love. That same agape love that you are God's, you are Christ's ambassador here on this earth. That's what Peter's saying, like, hey, this is the progression of your life, what you're meant to walk out. And then he concludes this part, says, man, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, God, I just want to keep pursuing this. You pursue this in increasing measure. They will keep you from being a goober with your haircut weird. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will keep you on the right path. Simplified, Paul just writes in Galatians 5.16 that if you live by the Spirit, you won't walk according to the lust of the simple nature. Just keep pressing into God. You leave from here, keep pressing into God. Keep your mind renewed on Him daily. That way when temptations and stuff come up, nah, this old prophet comes and goes, hey, I'm a prophet too, and I'm older, you can trust me because there's an inherent wisdom that I'm perceiving to you. And let me tell you, an angel actually told me something. You can, no, 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 God, I know what your word says. You're not going to speak contrary. Get this man behind me. I flee from all of that. This man of God serves as a witness for you and I. It is extremely important, just as we close, that we don't throw away that witness. There was one other verse just prior to all this in 1 Peter, if you can put that on the screen for me. And we'll conclude with this one. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Peter again writing, he says, Dear friends then, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, this world is not our home, to, uh, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war, or sorry, which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, now they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, which is what ends up happening kind of with that old man. He realizes that that man of God messed up, but I can see that God is still going to do his will regardless of every knee would bow, every tongue would confess. But that's what our cry is. That's what our hope is. God has entrusted you to lead. You are pressing into it. I am extremely proud of each of you as a church. It's a privilege, it's a privilege to pastor you guys. And I know God's doing tremendous things in your life. Nobody here is perfect, but God, we're going to aim for perfection. And when we mess up, because you will mess up, God, I want a short account with you. 
where all of a sudden you're saying, hey, my arm is not too short to save, nor my ear too dull to hear, but my iniquities have separated. God, wherever it is that I'm saying, God, I don't want you, I want this other thing. Ah, Holy Spirit, I want to be quick to recognize that conviction to go, I don't want that. And I want to be turning back to you constantly, running to you, because God, there's abundant grace there. If you are here, and it's like, Jeff, all of that is great, but I wish you had said all of that five years ago before this big thing happened in my life where I feel like I really disabled it all. If there is breath in your lungs, it is not too late. Your testimony is the redemption and restoration of the Lord to go, yeah, you know what? I was lost, and I got all the way down into all of that muck. The lion, uh, the muck and the mire, the lion had come, and it had killed me. But you know what? God brought beauty from ashes. I put my faith in the Lord. I realized the goodness of God's grace. I started meditating on that all the time, thinking about those things. Then all of a sudden, whew, man, it's just a self-control started to come from that, that I don't want what the world has to offer. Man, that developed a perseverance that then led to a godliness, that led, then led to now I'm making a difference of brotherly kindness to others, that God, I am your ambassador here on this earth. I want to be a witness for you. God has called you to do these great things. Step into them and be alert. Pay attention, because as you start to step out, and the devil's going to come against you. But you don't have to be intimidated by it. Just recognize his battle plan and guard against it. Let me close this in some prayer. Lord, we thank you for your, just your word. God, we thank you that, Lord, we thank you that the acts of the sinful nature, they are obvious. Lord, would that bring a humility to us then to, to recognize that, God, where have we gotten our haircut? Where have we stepped into something we shouldn't step into? And we keep thinking that we can kind of part our hair or cover our hair in that area. Nobody's going to notice. God, we thank you that, that you just expose the truth that, God, no, we, people are going to notice. Lord, let it bring a conviction to us to go, oh, God, I want to turn from those things. Or for every one of us in here, if there is something in our life, Lord, where we are not walking with you the way we should be, God, we, we ask your forgiveness. Forgive us of that, Lord. We repent from it. We turn from it, Lord. We want to walk with you. Lord, if there's anybody in here that's never made the ultimate, the, the first decision just to put you first in their life, I pray that they would now. If that's you in this room, just make that decision to say, God, I forgive me of my sins. I realize that, that, that I've messed up at times and I've blown it. And Lord, I'm in need of you. Would you forgive me of my sins? Jesus, be first in my life. I want to submit and follow you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to trust you. That's what the decision is. And Lord, for each one of us as we live, leave from here now, God, will we take that faith? Will we add goodness? Will we add knowledge? Will we add self-control? Will we add perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love? Would we pursue these things in increasing measure? We know that when we do, it keeps us from being ineffective and unproductive. And you have placed us for this day at this time. God, the, the wonder that you choose to use us, but we take that very seriously. We want to live as an example for you. Let us set an example in purity. Let us set an example in every of these things, every area of these things. But let us set an example specifically in this area. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close. If you're here and you need prayer for anything, um, 
we'll have pastors up at the front after service. We'd love to pray with, could be something we talked about from the message today. could be something else that's going on in life. But God moves when we pray, so we'd love to pray with you. Uh, remember the different announcements and different things. That, there was a lot of stuff that we were talking about in the middle of the service there, but just uh, if you need any refreshers on any of them, I just encourage you to go to the information booth. Derek and Araceli can help you out there to get directions or sign up for things or whatever. If you're interested in HLC Transport, there's applications that you can take out there to start filling out. That's the beginning part of the process uh, for all that. Trunk or Treats next week. We'll have church like normal during the day, and then Trunk or Treats going to be uh, that night, and then there's that volunteer meeting this upcoming Wednesday. It's important if you can be there, be there. If you can't be there, just you got an email about what Trunk or Treat's going to look like. If you have any questions, just reach out to us. Uh, that way we can hit the ground running for Trunk or Treat. But we love you guys. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us this Sunday. For direction and service times, please visit our website, HamiltonLifeChurch.com. 